Welcome to 7 Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. Most people are pretty uncomfortable talking about death. I hope this program can help to change that and make death a more natural topic of conversation. Today's guest is Brittany. She wears many hats. I feel the strength of his presence often. One very specific time, and this is the only time where I think he might have been with me. Question one. What do you believe happens to a person's consciousness or spirit after the body dies? Ooh, I love this question. Um, So I've always felt as though I've been here before. And so I think it would be really limiting for us to believe that this is it. That's, That's all there is for this one spark of consciousness. Just one go, one kick the can. So I like to believe, I don't want to necessarily say reincarnation, but energy has to go somewhere. And so where does it go? Does it go into another body, another entity? Where does it go? I like to think that we exist timelessly with our consciousness and with our energy. What that means or what that is in practice, I'm not sure. But I'd like to think that there's something beyond just this, this existence in this present lifetime. And there's an experiential component to that in your sense that you've been here on Earth or in Edmonton? Or is this a deja vu kind of thing? <laughs> or... Uh, On a planet, I remember when I was really little, something about Egypt was on the television. And I can't remember how old my mom said I was. I certainly don't remember this. But she said, I looked at the TV and I said, I remember that. And she was slightly horrified. And I love the story because, you know, it could just be me being a child and being interested in what I was watching and the media that was before me or... Who knows? Maybe my little spirit at that time had some sort of cellular memory or some sort of understanding that I had been in a place that may have have looked similar to that or felt similar to that. Or there was a sound that I heard on TV that brought me back to that space. So that's the one thing I'm drawing from. Otherwise, I have had deja vu. And I think that's more... I don't know, to me, that's kind of like a a pinpointed moment for my consciousness to feel like it's on the right trajectory moving forward. That's so interesting about the story your mom said, because the fact that she's repeated to it indicates there was something about the way you said it that stood out, not just like we studied this in school and I remember this or something. But I guess if you were so young, maybe you hadn't studied anything in school, but... I don't think so. I think I was maybe four or five when this happened, but I, again, I'm not sure what timelines uh, are like for when this actually happened, but um, she doesn't tell me a lot of stories like this. I have to usually mine her for information about my childhood or about my dad who has passed away uh, as well. So I have to usually dig for those little nuggets of information. But this one, I remember her telling me, like it was kind of a, a moment that stuck out to her in mm-hmm. my childhood. Maybe because it was odd and I've always been a bit of an oddball and that was where it began. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. 
So what I'm getting is you believe that the energy comes again into a body, into a consciousness. There's an eternal aspect. Do you have any specific beliefs on right at death, when the body dies, what happens to the consciousness or spirit? I've never thought about that before. That's a cool, that's a cool question. I feel my first inclination in answering that is rather, I think, like dramatic and theatrical in which the spirit just has this exalted moment of freedom from its confined form. I used to teach yoga for a number of years. And one of the Sanskrit words that has always stuck with me is Leela, which means Mm. divine play. Mm. And so it kind of means the way I was taught is that consciousness seeks to express itself through us, through us as humans. Mm -hmm. So in that moment of death, maybe that's the moment of like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this experience. I'm done with this journey and consciousness just slithers out back into itself because again, yogic philosophy and yogic beliefs, we are all imbued with this energy, imbued with consciousness, whether it's a rock or grass or tree, whichever, there is a a spiritual element to all things. And in yoga and Sanskrit, that's prana. And so prana is within all things. And so I think it would leave the physical form and rejoin the rest of consciousness, maybe. It's like a drop of water landing in a a larger pool or body of water sort of thing. What I'm hearing is this is a liberating or ecstatic experience. Yeah, why not? Could be exciting. Could be like a a chance to shift into something new, something, I don't know, something different. I like change. I like the ecstatic nature of change, even when it's maybe bleak or, or hard. I don't view death as like an ending necessarily, as you're saying, like, it's just maybe a a shift. Question two. Have you ever been present when someone else's life ended? I have not. The closest thing was, so my dad died when I was seven My mom, my little sister, and I were not present. He was in the hospital for some time leading up to his death. And we were at home. It was Easter morning. And I remember so vividly, so wild how some of these memories, especially around death and these bigger experiences for us, how they linger. So I was playing on the floor with my little sister. I was seven. She was three. And we were playing with our little Pocahontas toys because this was the 90s, of course, and we love Disney films in our household. My mom received a phone call, and I remember looking up to look at her, and she fell down into the chair. Like, she Aww. landed heavily in the chair with the news. And in that moment, I knew what had happened. Mm-hmm. And so I ran up to her and began comforting her. And, and I said, Mom, it's going to be okay. And so... Not necessarily present at the moment of death, but in that moment to her was her knowledge of his passing. And so to me, that kind of fits the bill for answering the question in that to her, like that relationship, like her person had gone. And so watching her in that moment was, I think, witnessing a moment of death in a way. It's the death of that form of the relationship. I see what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must have been very impactful for all of you, of course. 
Yeah, definitely. The impacts are everlasting. It's hard to lose a parent at such a young age. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff I've had to work through on yeah. since then, but um, yeah, it's one of my most vivid memories of my childhood is, is the moment my mom learned my dad died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but as you said it so clearly, it's a moment of death, even though you're not in the room. Hearing news of death can be a moment of death, being present in a sense. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to be present when someone else left this life? Yeah, I, I think there's so much power in, in being there for someone. I feel like death is scary. You know, it, it can be. It's it's unknown, and I think it's totally natural to feel nervous about it in some capacity. Perhaps some aren't once they get to that moment, if they've lived a long life, whatever. But it's still nice to be, I think, comforted or ushered into whatever awaits on on the other side with someone that offers comfort or or warmth on this side of the veil, you know? So I, yeah, I think that would be such an honor to be able to do that for someone. Question three. Have you ever experienced communication from someone who is no longer alive in the physical world? Or have you wondered if you are receiving communication from someone who has passed on? Yes, yes. So not as much as I might like. I feel my father is with me all the time. Like I think about him every single day and I feel like his energy is something that envelops me often. And I feel I feel the strength of his presence often. One very specific time, and this is the only time where I think he might have been with me, like his spirit was with me in this moment. I was doing a really intense yoga nidra practice uh, in this teacher training I was part of in Calgary. And I was able to go really deep during this one practice. And I remember laying on my mat. It was so still, so calm. Everyone felt like we were really holding each other. So it felt really, really safe and really open and maybe energetically porous enough for other beings to come in. I can't quite recall if the teacher had suggested that we invite our ancestors into the room as she often would. She's very in tune with those sort of practices. So maybe, but I remember laying on my mat and near my head, I felt like he was standing at the head of my mat. I don't know doing what, but I just got this sense and this presence and this energy that he was with me there in that moment. It felt, yeah, it felt really warm and comforting and nurturing and sweet. Like, like you would hope a father's presence would feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really the only time Other than that one time I heard someone running up the stairs in my house, which I think was a ghost experience, but I can't be sure. I don't know. That wasn't my dad. My dad would not have scared me like that, I don't think. You know, it's interesting. Of course, there could be spirits or ghosts around just going about their business or hanging around certain areas, but they're not actually trying to communicate with people. This question doesn't cover that. But you just mentioned something strange happened. There's something, mm-hmm. a sound of someone running up the stairs, but not necessarily trying to communicate with you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that was. I know like my mom is very in tune. And in our old house where we used to live on this farm in Saskatchewan, she 
she keeps things to herself. Like I mentioned earlier, I kind of have to mine her for information sometimes. So this was one of those times where she just casually mentioned something and it turned out to be kind of a, a huge thing in my mind. Like, what? How did you not lead the conversation with this? What? But she was telling me after my little sister and I had moved off the farm, she was just there on her own, that she would wake up in the middle of the night and kind of just smell dust like it would just kind of smell dusty in her home and she would walk out and she knew it was a spirit and she knew it was someone coming to her for them to move on to pass on they were stuck or or something like this and so my mom just kind of a brash ukrainian lady so she would just say get out of here and move on <laughs> not very not very sweet or soft about it <laughs> but she had this experience a number of times and i was always really curious about about that and if, if i had any psychic abilities as a result of of her own gifts but other than the, the stairs thing, where I heard someone running up the stairs to warn me, I was terrified. I was maybe 12 or something. So I was watching a lot of horror movies at the, at the time, very interested in occult things. And so someone was running up the stairs to warn me and I ran away. It was terrifying. It was really weird, but nothing occurred after that. It's the only pseudo paranormal experience I may have ever had, but my mom's story has always really stuck with me. I thought that was so interesting. I never heard it put that way before. The experience of someone running up the stairs towards you sounds really vivid, though. Yeah. Yeah, very vivid. Like, uh, So the way our house was set up, I was standing looking outside our front door, and our front door faced our yard. It was a huge farm kind of in the middle of nowhere. My mom was barbecuing something, so I was talking out the screen door with her. And my little sister was in the house somewhere watching TV. Like it was just the three of us on the farm most of the time. And so the basement stairs were right next to where I was standing. You would open up the door entering the home and the stairs to the basement were just to the right and you would walk down. And there's a lending of maybe four steps. And then the stairs turn to the left to go down to the basement, root cellar, all of this. Mm. And so... I can't remember how many steps I heard, but it sounded like someone was like stomping aggressively up the stairs. Like it's giving me shivers right now. Just thinking about terrifying. it. It was so scary. It sounded like someone was coming to get me. Mm. And of course, someone was there and my mom didn't believe me despite her. That's interesting. I know. She's such a tough nut to crack that one. <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, mom, someone's running up the stairs, but there's no one there. Like, what do you think? And she was like, oh, no, you, you were just hearing things like kind of, you know, how parents are when their kids come to them sometimes with mm. ghost stories, at least in the 90s. That was more of a media 90s horror movie trope. But yeah, she just straight up kind of gaslit me. <laughs> you know, but I know I heard. I know. Maybe she got rid of that spirit later. Maybe. Maybe there was no use in letting you know that there was some, something there. Maybe she was protecting me. Maybe there was something she knew that I didn't. I don't know. You might not have wanted to know it was true. Honestly, I still don't want to know. <laughs> wow. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. You're listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you'd like to be interviewed, or if you have a comment about the show, please get in touch.
My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is the number seven. Question four. Who do you want to be with you when you die? And what circumstances would you choose if you could choose them for your death? Hmm. I feel like this is a boring answer, but I would love to be in my home surrounded with whichever loved ones I find myself with at the end of my life, whatever that looks like. Uh, I'm open-minded in that sense, but in my home would be nice, like a place of comfort. Now in my 30s, I find a lot of solace in my home, and I'm sure that won't change as I age and obtain more experiences. I feel like home is a nice place to be. And I remember watching The Notebook a number of years ago, and I think they'd fall asleep and they pass away. When I saw that, I thought that would be like the most romantic and lovely way to go. But I also, at this point, having more maturity behind me, I would want my partner to have to die next to me. I would want them to be able to continue to live if that were the case. But I feel like a cozy, comfortable passing would be lovely. If I could choose that for myself, I would be very grateful to get to end things that way. And yeah, some ceremony and, and food if if that's what's happening. But food. you gotta yeah. have food, you know, mm. weddings, funerals, death ceremonies, you gotta you gotta have the food. A little bit of an offering to the the other world too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question five. How do you feel about the fact that you will die? Are you afraid of your death? Rather than afraid, I would say I'm more anxious that there isn't enough time to explore the world as fully as I would like to. There's only so much time, so I'm trying to have as many experiences as I can, help as many people as I can while I'm here, and just do all I can. Like I don't want to say live life to the fullest because that feels like kind of a, a weird just a thing that a lot of people say, but I feel like I really try to embody that. And I really try to do as much as I I can and have as many experiences as possible. And so at the end of my life, I don't think there's any way I can say I'm not satisfied with how I spent my time, but I guess the fear is more in like, there's so much more to experience. Like you can never experience all of it. So making peace with that anxiety around how I spend my time is is more where the fear lies rather than death itself, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Not afraid of death, but anxious about prioritizing things so that you experience the things you really want to, because I hear you have such a zest for variety and different experiences in your life that you want to fill those up, fill up pockets <laughs> yeah wear all those hats there's so many hats yeah how many hats can I wear is is the question but I feel like there is so much time like I, I think about where I've come from and where I might go and in the grand scheme of things like I'm I'm just a small little speck and I will continue to be a small little speck but I feel like I've already been able to do so many cool things. So that leaves me with more hope than anxiety in this moment, dissecting it and dissecting that fear and that anxiety, thinking about, okay, well, I've done X number of things in the time I've already been here. 
And if all goes well, and if I'm lucky enough to get to grow old and age, which I think is a huge privilege, I'm sure I'll, I'll have a million more stories and I'll be happy with, with what I get to do. But also being happy with not doing anything and just resting and existing can be enough too. So there's always that tension and push and pull within us, I think. I would be really curious. I don't know if there have been any studies on this, but I have this theory that people that fear death a lot, the reason might be because they're not doing the things that are most meaningful to them. Mm. So you fear death, it means you'll never get to those meaningful things. Like if death happened tomorrow, then the things that you really deeply yearn to do would not be experienced by you. I don't know if that's just something that makes sense to me or was true in my life when I was younger and I really feared death, but I would like to know if there's any correlation. Yeah, I'd be curious too, because fear, fear is such a powerful emotion and a powerful thing because I don't know if I've ever really been afraid of change. Like I maybe have been more resistant to it in my life. Certainly, like I can say that guarantee that it's very normal to, to want to resist something changing in one's life. You know, I went through a really bad breakup last year around this time and there was so much grief and that was a death. That was death of mm. a future that I anticipated having with this person. It was the death of mm. myself with this person and the version of myself that they brought out. And it was the death of so many little things. And so I consider like being, being open and amenable to change and having to adapt to life circumstances is kind of like a practice run for how mm. we'll approach death and that inevitability of things changing. And so I think not being able to let oneself die and get over that little fear of doing the thing that will cause joy or, or bring us to a state where we're living in our purpose or living, living our truth, whatever that looks like, even if it's just, you know, doing a small thing, like trying yoga for the first time or whatever the case may be. But that fear being so preventative, I think that would mirror kind of what you're saying. Like that would, that would indicate one's level of comfort with dying itself is how one's showing up in a moment of confronting fear over a smaller micro death of the self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love the way you said that. Yeah. Change is the small death mm -hmm. that brings new life. Question six. Are there any traditions or practices connected with death, which you find meaningful? Mm. That's a great question. In my life, not yet. I had a few friends pass away this last year and... Sorry to hear that. Thank you. It was really hard. I hadn't had a, a close friend pass away before. You know, I witnessed my, my father pass on, my grandma and others kind of further away from me. But these two friends, losing them, you know, I do a show on CJSR and it was really nice to be able to honor them through music and knowing their tastes and knowing that their music could live on on our show. And so that became kind of an accidental ritual for for myself and, and Rylan, the co-host of the History of Punk. And yeah, we put together playlists that were 
put together by the community. And so people who loved them and knew them even more intimately and closely than we did offered songs and offered suggestions as to how to best honor them. So it kind of became like a active community solidarity, which was really nice after these shocking deaths, because both of these people were, were so young and it really shook the local, I think, punk and music community, generally speaking. So to be able to have a place where, you know, we could connect or, or people could listen to the show and, and think of their friend and grieve on their own time felt really meaningful. And I, I hope that doesn't become like a ritual or a response because I don't want to see further deaths in the music community of, of people so young, but that felt like a, a way of ritualizing it and adding ourselves and our love for these people to the senselessness of, of their loss. It sounds really powerful and also really organic. It sounds like it just evolved to suit what was needed by the community that surrounded these two people. Yeah, definitely. We didn't really put out a call or anything actively, but people knowing that we did the show reached out and asked if we were going to do something. And of course, that was one of the first things I thought of is how can I honor Tommy? How can I honor Ben? You know, and one thing that I have is is this little show. And so that that was a really nice special way to keep them with us and keep them alive and then continuously as as we go throughout the life cycle of our show playing songs that Ben wrote and playing songs that Tommy created and playing tracks to remember them around their birthday, around the date they passed away, which hasn't happened quite yet. Yeah, it's it's a special way of acknowledging passing, I think. Question seven. If you could ask a source of all knowledge some questions about death, what would you ask? Oh, well, circling back to our earlier conversation, what happens to our consciousness when we leave our bodies? What happens? Where does it go? Do we get to choose a new form? Is there a way that there is some autonomy within that process? Or is it just a natural expansion? Like, does my illuminated spirit in this body get to pick this next life form it gets to embody? Probably not, but maybe. I would like to know that. Or when we die, is there a way we can watch a highlight reel? Because <laughs> there's so many things that I know I already forget about my life and I'm still pretty young. I would like to review some of the main moments, even if they were rough. Like, where were the moments in my life that that got me to this point, you know, what were the pivotal moments that maybe didn't seem like pivotal moments at the time because they were really rough or, or so subtle, but it was a small choice that actually, you know, coalesced into something bigger than I anticipated by making that choice. And also, can I commune with my loved ones that have passed on? Is there a way of connecting with that energy in some way? Once I move on, just like a quick little hello kind of like in What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams, can we find each other in some sort of afterlife, even if for a brief moment? Yeah, those are the questions off the top of my head. I'm sure there will be more as I <laughs> leave this conversation. You're going to be emailing me. I have more <laughs> questions to ask the great source of all knowledge. <laughs> We're from the depths to the mountains. 
My thanks to today's guest, Brittany. Brittany wears many hats. The song that we just heard an excerpt from is called Screaming for a Change by The Iron Roses. You've been listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you're interested in being interviewed, or if you have a comment or a question, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is a number seven. Thanks for listening. <laughs>